بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in many many verses in the Qur'an, He speaks about Himself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hardly ever in the Qur'an he, does He ever discuss His existence. When you look at the verses that relate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, He doesn't discuss His existence that this is a proof for my existence. That is taken as though it's agreed upon, that Allah exists. However, the numerous verses in the Qur'an, too many to count, discuss His oneness. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is discussing His oneness, it goes to prove that His existence was taken as a given. There is no question about it. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, وَإِلَاهُكُمْ إِلَاهٌ وَاحِدٌ لَا إِلَاهَ إِلَّا هُوَ الرَّحْمَانُ الرَّحِيمُ Again in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum, la ta'khuduhu sinatun wa la nawm. And it continues until the end as everybody knows. Surah Ali Imran, la ilaha illahu al-aziz al-hakim. There is no God except Allah. That's what la ilaha illahu means. Al-aziz al-hakim, the mighty one and the wise one. Again Surah Al-An'am, thalikumullahu rabbukum. That is your Lord. He is your Lord. La ilaha illahu. There is no God except He. Khaliqu kulli shay. The creator of everything. Just in case you don't know and you don't agree, He is also the creator of everything. Fa'buduhu. Thus worship Him. Wa huwa ala kulli shayin wakil. He is the patron of everything. Surah At-Tawbah. Wa ma umiru illa liya'budullaha mukhlisina lahu ad-deen. Actually, wa ma umiru illa liya'budu ilahun wahida. They were only commanded that they worship one Lord and not many, many, many. Again, wasi'a kulla shay'in ilma. Actually, la ilaha illa hu again. Subhanahu wa ta'ala amma yushrikun. There is no God except He. That's why you should only worship Him. And Allah is glorified and far beyond what they bring as partners to Him. So all of this, as you can say, is on the oneness of Allah. Again in Surah Taha, Allah says, إِنَّمَا إِلَهُكُمُ اللَّهِ Verily, your Lord is Allah. Your Lord, and Lord here, ilah, the word ilah, which is different to Allah. Allah is a proper name for Allah. It means that God, that deity, that deity worthy of worship, who everybody is dependent on, and He is dependent on no one. That is the meaning of Allah. Allah, that creator, that being, possessed of all of his beautiful names and his attributes, characteristics. That's what Allah is, a very comprehensive word. However, the word ilah means God or deity, something that you take as an object of worship. That's why it's a very fluid term. Ilah, you can have aliha, which means the plural, gods. So it's like God. Allah is different than God. God could be used for many objects of worship. People take many things as worship. They take trees as objects of worship, cows as objects of worship, and many, many other things. Those are all aliha, plural of ilah. 
That's why you have also in English you have God and you have goddesses, female gods as such. It's just an object of worship. But the true God, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here, is that the true deity, true entity worthy of your worship is only Allah. That's why, إِنَّمَا إِلَاهُكُمْ الَّذِي لَا إِلَاهَ إِلَّا هُوْ وَسِعَ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ عِلْمًا The verily your Lord is Allah, the one besides whom there is no God, there is no entity worthy or essence worthy of worship, and He is expansive over everything in terms of knowledge. He knows everything. His knowledge covers everything. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again says in Surah Al-Qasas, وَلَا تَدْعُ مَعَ اللَّهِ إِلَهًا آخَرٍ Do not call on to any other God besides Allah. With Allah, or even if you believe in Allah, because many of them did believe in Allah actually. They believed in the one, they believed in the Supreme God. They just added many, many other gods to it. So Allah is saying that do not call with Allah to any other deity. La ilaha illahu. There is no God except He. Kullu shay'in halikun illa wajha. Everything is going to perish except His countenance. Lahul hukmu. For him is all the command and dominion and control. And to him you're going to return. That's in Surah Al-Qasas. Then in Surah Al-Zumr we have again, He is your Lord. All of this description we've mentioned, that is all of your Lord. mulk. For him is the sovereignty. For him is the kingdom. La ilaha illahu. Again emphasis, there is no God except He. What's wrong with you people? Why do you go and worship others? Why do you pay respect to others when He is the only God? You don't need anyone. He is sufficient to deal with everybody in humanity, with every object in creation at the same time. Because we think as human beings that I can only manage this many things at once. I can only listen to maybe one or two people at one time. How am I able to listen a Hivs class teacher, somebody who's uh, who's uh, teaching students Hivs, they can just about listen to two people at once. If they've got three people in front of them, there's, there's no way. There's no way. They're just listening a bit here, listening a bit here, and listening a bit here. right? So even as human beings, I mean, you can do a test, have two headphones with one, uh, one uh, stream of sound coming in one another stream and then try to figure out you can't. We just don't have that ability. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His ability is that He can listen to every human being as they're speaking, not just what they're saying, because we we're not always speaking. He also knows exactly what we're thinking at any given moment. Can you imagine that? And not just what humans are saying or thinking, what they're looking at, what they're listening to, all of that is he's conscious of. Aside from that, even the smallest of creatures, that ant, that centipede, that is under that rock in your back garden that you don't even know exists there, and one day you're to lift up that stone and you see about five centipedes there, he can hear that walk. And this is not an exaggeration, this is what he mentions. Not a leaf. How many leaves in the world? Forget the world. How many leaves in England? Forget, the, forget England. How many leaves in your own back garden? How many leaves on one tree? It's like saying, how many hair on my head? But Allah knows, وَمَا تَسْقُتُ مِنْ وَرَقَةٍ إِلَّا يَعْلَمُهَا Every single leaf that drops, He knows about it. He knows about it. You know, from a human perspective, it's very difficult to understand is because we can only manage a very limited amount of things and activities in one go.
That's why we delegate tasks. We have managers and sub-managers, right? We administrate and we delegate. And we think, why can't Allah do, do that? He must do that. How can He take care of so many things? But that is why the king verse in the Quran, the Ayatul Kursi, one of the greatest verses of the Quran, exactly defines for you who our Lord is. وَلَا يَؤُدُهُ حِفْظُهُمَا It says that protect, preserving them, looking after them, does not make him weary in the least. Because eventually us, even you've got a superhuman of some sorts who manages many, many tasks, they do eventually get tired. They eventually get old. They retire. And Allah has been doing this from day one of the universe. He doesn't have a day one, but the universe has a day one. This is, I'm just reinforcing our belief. So he says, La ilaha illahu fa'anna tusrafoon. Where are you being misled then? Where are you directing your attention to? What's the problem? Allah reminds in many different words. If only we could understand the Quran in its Arabic, then you'd really appreciate what he's saying and it'd really penetrate our hearts. Fa'anna tusrafoon. Where are you being misled? Where are you being directed or misdirected like this then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah al-ghafir this is just a short selection of the verses Allah says in surah al-ghafir rabbukum. he is your lord khaliqu kulli shay the creator of everything la ilaha illahu there is no god except he fa'anna tu'fakun again where are you going where are you stumbling around now this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran he is establishing his oneness rather than his existence. What does that mean? Why would somebody do that? If it was about establishing the existence of God, why wouldn't Allah do that? And instead, why did he just say he is one? Well, one simple answer to that is when you establish the oneness of something, it clearly establishes that he exists. However, there's another thing to this. If you look around the world, if you look around the world, it's only in this time and age, in the last 40 or so years, that atheists, and what's an atheist? Somebody who denies God out completely, outrightly denies God. That's an atheist, right? A theist is a believer, an atheist is somebody who, who denies. So that's an atheist. It's only we have under unfortunate luck, right? If you can call it unfortunate luck, if that's even a, that's an oxymoron there, right? You can't have an unfortunate luck. Right? But we have the unfortunate task of being existent in this time and age for that. And Allah knows best why we're here, but may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the best of it. Right? But we are in a time when atheists have become militant for the first time in recorded history. The reason is that if you look at the history of atheists, and there's a beautiful book by Nick Spencer called uh, Atheism or Atheists, Origin of the species. It's a basically a pun on the book on you know Darwinism and evolution, the origin of the species. So, where does this the species of atheist come from? And he's traced it from the 15th-16th century, primarily Europe. Brought it down, and what he shows in there is that many of the atheists that were later discovered to be atheists were always hidden atheists. Many of them, unfortunately, came from religious backgrounds, which is the sad fact. Many of them came from religious backgrounds. They were either ministers themselves, because if you look at places like Harvard and, uh, Harvard and Yale and other major universities, they started off as divinity schools. 
because the church pretty much ruled Europe and the, the, the church is what controlled Europe for a very long time. So many of these schools, even in America, where, where, which I quoted Yale or uh, uh, Harvard, they started off as schools of divinity. And that's why when you came out, you were a doctor of divinity. Divinity is referring to God. So it started off with this as religious schools that then went into all of the other sciences. Because that time the sciences etc. were very limited. You could become a master of all sciences at that time. Now it's just become so far spread out that it's very difficult to master even a single science nowadays. That's how difficult it's become. You have to always specialize. That's what PhDs are about now. Specializing in one field. Before, you know, the idea of a BA is that you study Derby in general. Right? That's a, that's a BA. A master's is that you, you, you study one area of Derby, right? One locality, one community, the Muslims of Derby. Then you get to a PhD, which is like you just, uh, you're just studying one meter square and digging 10 feet down, right? That's what a PhD is getting very specific. And how many PhDs can you do in your life? Right? So it's very specific uh, things that you have to study nowadays. It's getting very complicated. So... Over the course of these centuries, you had atheists, and as I said, many of them were children of pastors, priests, rabbis, right? They were from primarily Catholic, Protestant, and uh, Judaic traditions. These were where the, the, uh, a lot of them came from this. And you know what atheism was, if you look at it, for many of them, it was a, it was a bad reaction to the persecution of the church or of the religious authorities, when you persecute somebody, when you oppress somebody in the name of religion, you are going to turn them away from religion. You're going to turn them away from religion. And unfortunately, we have some Muslims who do this around the world. They take over a piece of land, right, the size of Derby maybe, right, and they start cutting off people's hands straight away. Rather than starting to teach them something, starting to teach them some adab and tarbiyah and get them, you know, get their welfare back, get their security back, they start persecuting everybody they start beating up all of the women they start uh what do you call it flogging people for small small issues and say we are sharia we want to show you sharia la hawla wa la illa billah one percent or so is the penalties in islam you know the hand cutting and all that of the sharia the sharia is so broad but today unfortunately among the non-muslims what has been made popular is that sharia is hand cutting Sharia is flogging somebody to death. Sharia is uh, whipping somebody. This is what's become. And then now, as soon as somebody hears Sharia, Sharia courts that actually help women get divorce, right? Get a talaq, right? For themselves. They're going after them because they think that there's, there's some controversy. There's some, actually some conspiracy there. This is the problem we're dealing with right now. I'm trying to explain. So over the course of the centuries, many of these people used to write books. And in there, they used to try to slip these ideas of atheism. And then they would be caught and then they would recant and they would say, no, Toba, Toba, Toba. Not in those words, President, right? And then after that, they would write another book. It's only in the last 30, 40 years, you have this Sam Harris and you have Dawkins and you have uh, two or three others that they've become so brave that now it's become militant atheism. It's become militant atheism. Now they are out there on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, and uh, some of them are very, very eloquent. They're very charismatic. And I have at least, I have uh, dealt with at least four young men and women, young uh, youth, and a lot of them from religious backgrounds, who, if I can say there's one person that has influenced them is Richard Dawkins. Because the arguments that they bring up, 
about why they're losing their faith, then it is primarily from his book. It's primarily from his book. So, when I say our young brothers and sisters, sometimes I would feel that they're from families that were not very religious. However, there was one individual, and this was when I was in America, uh, he, he had some questions. So a friend of mine who knew him said uh, he should speak to me. So he called me and he started asking me all of these questions. And the questions were about why do women get half of that of men in inheritance and all of these side questions. I tried to explain to him, but it wasn't working at all. Now, generally, when you explain, you show them the rationale behind these things, they generally, people do generally get it and understand because they're missing some link here or there. However, this person wasn't getting. So I had this niggling feeling in my mind that there's a deeper rooted problem here. So I said, do you believe in God? I, I just asked him this out of the blue. And it may have been the first time he's been challenged by this question. So this was his answer. Yeah. Like half baked, you know, yeah. that kind of an answer. So then I started pushing that. And then I realized, I asked him a bit more. His brother is doing hifz of the Quran. So he is not from a family that is out of the deen, not practicing, just Jumu'ah, just Eid. No, these guys are praying family. Something's gone wrong here, whatever that may be. If you look at these atheists, what it shows is that some of the worst laws today in Europe, if, you, if I was to ask the people sitting here, which place in Europe do you think is the worst for Muslims? There you go, right? I mean, that's pretty much an agreement here, right? France, right? Paris, right? It's France. Why is that the case? Why do they hate religion so much? Why do they feel it's justified to criticize, not cri just criticize, but to denigrate a religion? The reason is that they seem to have had the worst oppression by the church. If you look around Europe, if you look around the Western world, the best place for religion in a sense, I mean, England, alhamdulillah, is very good. But there are very few churchgoers in this country. Do you know that in London alone, in the city of London alone, in general, in London alone, in the last year or two, in the last three years, I can't remember exactly how many last few years, there's been at least 50 churches that have been made into what? I knew you were going to say that, but that's not, that's not what I'm going to say, right? Yes, there's been many churches made into masjid, but okay, it's become, in a masjid at least, it's become from one worship place to another worship place, right? God is still being worshipped in these houses. No, at least 50, 50 of them have been made into luxury homes, right? That's aside from those that the masjids buy up. 50 of them have been made into homes, Right, because London is a very expensive place. So these churches, they can't afford it. Anymore. They're these big majestic buildings. They can't even pay for the roof. Some of them, because they don't have the membership anymore. Some of these really classical places, these uh, places, Renaissance type, time and all that, their bills just to maintain them are so huge that they can't look after them anymore. They're struggling. People aren't believers anymore. You've got less believers here per square mile, per thousand people than you have in America. America has many people who are religious, whether they practice the true religion or is a different, but they practice a form of Christianity. Where I used to be in Santa Barbara, used to be so many different churches and all mashallah full. And in my discussion uh, with uh, the, the, the pastors, because we had a clergy association 
which uh, I used to take part in sometimes to discuss. So I asked them, how, you know, how many people come to your churches? They said, well, this many, this many, whatever. But we have big competition in this area because it was Santa Barbara, which is right on the coast. Right? So we have beautiful mountains on one side and beautiful beaches on the other side. So that's, they said, we have too much competition here. Right? So they were complaining about this. And yet they had many more people that would generally go to churches here. The churchgoers in England are all the Africans, the African Christians. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot of African Christians. You see them outside churches on Sunday. Right? People don't go to church anymore as much. So what you've got here is that America, because it, it separated church and state, from its inception, you know, from the constitution or whatever, and gave freedom, it seems like religion was allowed to, allowed to, uh, 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 allowed to grow there, and they, they, you know, lots of churches grew, and they don't have the same animosity towards it. Yes, you've got problems against uh, any kind of belief, and today the two religions that are probably being attacked most by so-called liberal, uh, by liberals or postmodern in this time of postmodernism, whatever, is the Catholics. Right, because that's the only other organized, structured religion we have in the world today. Because Protestants are very divided, diluted, right? Whereas Catholics, they still have, okay, you know, no, uh, no contraception, right? It's even more difficult than a Muslim. No contraception. You cannot divorce. If you divorce, you can't come to the church anymore. The big debate's going on about this. I remember when I went to the Vat uh, when I went to I've been to the Rome I've been to Vatican right and I've had lots of discussions with uh, a number of these uh, in, in, in a number of the priests and monks and uh, other, uh, the abbots and others who are there and this is a massive issue for them they they just de they just dealing with this and the other one is Islam right the other one is Islam we don't even have a national structure like if you see Rome and the Vatican and the Pope and the organization the wealth that they have. We don't have it like that. Ours is very splintered, but mashallah, the iman is what keeps us together. It's amazing. You go to any country in the world, you see somebody else who half looks like a Muslim, you say, Assalamu alaikum. What do you see? What difference do you see? Don't you suddenly see softening out, Assalamu alaikum, a smile, suddenly sense of security to a certain degree? That's the beauty of our Islam, that the salam word is so powerful. Afshu salama baynakum. So, what happened is that French had a lot of persecution, a lot of oppression. That's why when they rebelled and when they, they turned it all around, they hated religion. They ended up hating religion. And they see Islam as a problem with that. Because in Islam, you, there are boundaries. You can't do this, you can't do that. In this, their form of secularism is an extreme form of secularism. It's like the ISIS form of Islam. Because they are willing to go and arrest women on the beach that are covered up. Like that's extreme. That's another form of extremism. Do you understand? And I'm really happy that at least some of the judges there got that idea. And they didn't become extremists as well. Atheism, God denial comes out of oppression within religion. That teaches us a lesson as well. What we're, the problem we are having today is ignorant parents that are highly cultural, that are highly cultural, are forcing their children to, to do things that is cultural but not Islamic at all. And they're giving it the name of Islam. And that is, subhanAllah, that is taking people away from the faith. I dealt with a sister, a woman, who is now married to a non-Muslim. 
She's a Pakistani woman, right, married to a non-Muslim. And I asked her her story, how did you even get into this situation? And she said that I was forced into a marriage with my cousin, you know, whatever it was. And I just couldn't get along with him. And I was forced into it in the name of faith. And then after that, I just rebelled. And this is what I ended up with. Because they disowned me after that. Now, one is that, you know, you encourage your child to marry X, Y, and Z and arrange it. It's fine. And they're happy with it. There's nothing wrong with that. Manage. In fact, there's a recent report saying that arranged marriages are a lot more successful. And, you know, today, subhanAllah, you know, the old, uh, the old uncle and auntie in the, in the village or in the city or in the town that hooks everybody up. She kind of knows everybody. Right. Have you got somebody in Derby that does that? Right. You know, you have them, the uncle or the aunt. I mean, I'm sure there must be somebody here. So he's looking at, hey, are you married yet? No. Right? I got somebody for you. <laughs> I'm only joking. I don't have anybody for you here, right? But uh, it's just a rhetorical question, brother. But mashallah, he's not married. So maybe you guys can find him something. Inshallah. Find him two or three. Options. Options. Inshallah. Right. So... Um, you don't mind me asking you that question? That's fine. Okay, alhamdulillah. <laughs> so, you know, you had those people, but unfortunately, our networks are also breaking down. This is the time of individualism where everybody's concerned about themselves. They're, they're, they're sometimes, you know, if I've suggested somebody to somebody, and then after that it broke up, it didn't go well, they'll blame me for it. So now people are saying, man, we don't even want to suggest anything anymore because they'll come to you suggested it. Like, I didn't know, I'm not God. I just suggested it. You're supposed to do your checks and, you know, you're supposed to do your, uh, your investigation and figure it out. I mean, don't just go with what I'm saying. You know, I don't know this person. I'm just thinking it's a suitable match. So now because of all of this, people want to let go. So you know who's taken their place? These marriage bureaus online. Shadi.com or whatever you call them. You have to pay for it. That's the only difference. They are like that uncle or auntie in the, in the, in the gown, in the village. Who are, but they just use computer algorithms to match you up and you have to pay for them now it was a free service but now you have to pay for it that's the difference here right but anyway the point of our discussion is that parents should be very very careful that because of their concept of their culture and trying to conflate that with religion imposing that on their children is good, could very well possibly take their children away from the faith if they don't have any other way of learning what their true religion is. So if a child hasn't done well at madrasa or maktab and he doesn't really know what his religion is, the only religion he knows is of his parents, the Islam that his parents taught him, right, or, uh, or her parents taught her, then they will think, what kind of Islam is this? And I'm being forced to marry somebody I hate, I don't like, I can't work with. Can you understand? These are just an idea of how these things came about. I'm not saying this was all the case. But because France had the worst, their reaction was the worst. That's why the title of the chapter of Nick Spencer's book is French Fury. Huge amount of fury that they had after you know, the, the, they overturned the, the church. Now, many of these atheists today now, because Islam is kind of the big elephant in the room all the time, and unfortunately we have people who have caused an issue uh, in different parts of the world that has just given food to these people. Many of these atheists, though they're from Christian or Judaic backgrounds, a lot of their effort is against the Muslims, 
and of course against the Catholics and others, because they, they see Islam outside, on the road, being practiced. Islam is manifest. You can't tell on the road somebody is a Catholic or a Protestant, or a liberal Jewish, liberally Jewish, you know, liberal Jew for that matter. Yes, if you come to my area the, where you have the Orthodox Jews in Stanford Hill, well, mashallah, you know, you can see it. And we peacefully coexist there, which is really wonderful, right? And on common issues, we even get together to deal with them, right? On common issues that affect both of our communities, right? That, that shows that people of religion can work together. However, atheists, they try to undermine this. And they try to show that the problems come from religion. That all the wars in the world are based on religion. If you look at the Second World War, it wasn't supposed to be based on religion. And yet it had the greatest massacre. It had the greatest tra tragedy. The number of people killed during these world wars was much greater than anything that's happened recently. This is nothing. The amount of abortions that are taking place late term, 3 million babies are being killed every single year, Europe and America. And this is after 120 days. When in Islam, before that, it's allowed to, in certain circumstances. After 120 days, it's not allowed. These are the most vulnerable. It's a tragedy. It's, it's a massive massacre that's taking place. But it's okay because it's been justified. It's been justified. Now in Islam, we're not as the Catholics where there's no abortion allowed at all, regardless. We believe that 120 days is when the ruh, the spirit is blown in and thus the person is then a human being at 120 then we have no then we can't do anything but before that under certain cases like rape uh, serious serious illness problems or whatever it may be the possibility of uh, a possibility of removing but after that there isn't and this happens quite normally now what do atheists believe well, the first is they don't want any part to do anything to do with religion which is a belief in the a supreme being in a creator they want to believe that man can make laws for themselves however it creates a number of problems and i don't want to go into all of the theological problems here because it's going to become a lesson in theology which is going to be quite complex and not the right thing for this sunday night right it's it's just the wrong time for it but the idea of good and evil where does good and evil come from who decides what is good and what is evil Right? Who decides these things? If there's no concept of God and evil, then how can there be reward and punishment in the hereafter? If there is a God, how do we see Him function in our daily lives? What does God do? So you have varying opinions about who God is. So let's, let's just look at that briefly. One of the main issues is this world, which is a reality that everybody lives in. Nobody can deny that we live in this world. So now the question that arises is that where did this world come from? So if I was to ask you, where did this world come from? What can you trace it back to? Generally, people, people trace it back to what? The Big Bang. As though that is the cause for everything. Okay, we can agree with the Big Bang. A Big Bang took place with all of the with, with all of the pressures and all of the forces that were around suddenly they came together there was a big bang and it inspired the universe okay fine there's no we, we don't have to reject that however question is who caused the big bang how did that happen and how did it happen in such a way that it created this beautiful universe around us 
That is the question. You can't just go to the Big Bang and stop there and say, we've got the answer here, right? The Big Bang is just a, an intermediate phase, right? That is all it is. Who created the Big Bang? Who had everything come together in such a fine-tuned way? So now, without going too much into that, there's a number of perspectives about whether God exists or doesn't exist. If He does exist, then what is His function in the world today? So let us understand that just in case we have something wrong and we can clarify it. So firstly, you've got the group that is completely atheist, that there is no concept of God. Right? Everything is just here. Now we'll get to the question about then how this world was created later. Right? About what atheists think, how the world was created. We'll look at that a bit later. So firstly, we've got the atheists. Next, we've got the agnostics. Agnostics are people who don't necessarily deny God, but haven't found Him yet. So we have to keep looking, right? We have to keep looking. Now, don't think that these are new ideas. In fact, agnostics have probably existed probably longer than atheists, right? Because in Arabic, we call them Sa'ad al-Din al-Taftazani, rahimahullah. He's got a book called the Sharh al-Aqaid, right? Several, it was written about seven or eight hundred years ago. And in there, he dis discusses a particular group called the La Adriya. That I don't know us. I don't know. Like, who created I don't know. Do you know this? Do you exist? Well, I don't know. We have to keep asking questions. Man, the world has been asking questions for centuries. I mean, since recorded Greek history, Hellenistic period, you know, people have been working on the metaphysics of this world. And you think nobody's come with a viable theory until now in these thousands of years? What do you expect to come by tomorrow? Think science is going to tell you this? Right. So they are agnostics. Now there's a, another group. I don't know how big the group is, but there's one in, uh, in, individual at least uh, who's given another idea. It's called possibilists. Right. Which is a bit better than agnostics, I think. That at least we agree that there's a possibility. You know, subhanAllah, there's a reason for all of this. There's a reason for all of this. Your inside wants you to believe because to believe in God is a very natural thing. Because every single human being, every single one of us has experienced Allah. Now what do I mean by that? I don't mean in the Christian sense, but you must experience Jesus Christ. I don't mean in that sense, right? Because if you experience Jesus Christ, then you will believe, right? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran. وَإِذْ أَخَذَ رَبُّكَ مِنْ بَنِي آدَمَ مِنْ ذُهُورِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّتَهُمْ وَأَشْهَدَهُمْ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ أَلَسْتُ بِرَبِّكُمْ قَالُوا بَلَىٰ شَهِدْنَا أَنْ تَقُولُوا يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ إِنَّا كُنَّا عَنْ هَذَا غَافِلِينَ And remember the time when your Lord extracted the progeny of Adam السلام, When Allah created Adam, He then extracted in His life, extracted Adam's life his entire progeny, everybody that was to come until the Day of Judgment, and then he manifested himself to them. Allah revealed himself to them in how, when, I don't understand how, we can't know how, but it was an experience that we've all had. And he then said, aren't I your Lord? And we all said, bala, of course you are. There was no need to deny it. Right? This is so that on the Day of Judgment, Allah says in the Quran, you cannot say that, oh, we didn't know, we were unaware. Because on the Day of Judgment, we'll be reminded. 
in this world we're not reminded. We are, we're, not, we're not reminded of that experience as in we're not shown a flashback of it. I mean, some people have professed to remember it. Anybody here? Who remembers that experience? Does anybody remember being in their mother's womb? Does anybody deny that? Right? So at the end of the day, just because you don't remember something, though you believe in it, you know, Subhanallah, there are skeptics in the world, considered to be extreme skeptics. They will challenge you that, are you your parents' child? I've got a birth certificate. What proof is that? You could have made one up. Isn't that true though? But we take these things for granted. We have to stop at some level of proof. They say, no, this is not proof. What's a proof, man? Right? So you get a lot of weird people in the world. You get a lot of different thoughts in the world. There has to be some standard that we must stop. So anyway, this experience we have all had. right? We've all had this experience of seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah in this world reminds us through the prophets and through His divine books that look, this is what you must do. There is a God. And then He also gives us an aql. That's why according to Imam Abu Hanifa, a number of theologians, even if a prophet has not come to you, no knowledge of, no book, no revelation of any prophet has come to you, just merely by your rational intellect, your aql, you must believe that there is only one God. Why? Because everything in the world points towards that. Because we know from a worldly perspective, Allah says in the Quran, Allah gives a simple example. He said, look, just imagine you've got a local masjid, Right? You, you, you have one director. When you have too many directors, the masjid is messed up. Haven't you seen that? That's why we have problems in masjids, in communities, committees. When everybody tries to be a boss, you have a problem. When you don't listen to one person who's a knowing and a talented and a capable individual. You have that everywhere. So Allah says that in the universe, if there were to be more than one God, a multiplicity of gods, the heavens and the earth would be in chaos. And yet we see that they're not in chaos. Hence that, that tells us, that signifies that there's only one creator. And in everything it tells us the same thing. A poor, uh, uh, a normal Bedouin was asked about God. And he said, look, when I see droppings, I know a camel has gone past. When I see footsteps, I know people have passed. So this entire creation, how is it possible that it could have come from nothing without a creator? Once Imam Abu Hanifa, as many of you may know, not know this, that Imam Abu Hanifa, we know him for his jurisprudence and his fiqh and masail. Before that though, before he even went into this area, he was a businessman and he used to, he was a theologian. He used to deal with aqidah, belief issues. On one occasion he was, he was uh, approached by a number of uh, people who questioned the belief in God and he he, he, he said, they said, we want to ask you some questions. He said, just, just wait, I've got a really difficult issue somebody has given me that I need to figure out first. So I'm really occupied right now. So they said, what is the matter? He said, you know what? They told me that there is a ship, right? It works on its own. It fills up on its own. You know, the, the stuff gets put in there alone. And then it comes to the other side and then it unloads everything. I mean, nowadays, a smart ship, it's a possibility. Right? But in those days, that was impossible for them to understand. Right? And anyway, so he says, they're telling me all about this and they're telling me that, you know, how can I understand this? So I'm trying to figure this out. And you know what they said? 
They said, that's simple, that's absurd. That's impossible. How can that even be possible? So then he said, exactly. That's what the issue is. How can this, if you can't agree that a ship can do this on its own, how can this entire world work on its own without a designer and a controller? And then they just came silent. Right? So th these are the simple ways of responding to these things. These are the simple ways of re responding to these things. So now what, what, what we're talking about here is that if we just look at the universe now, and we were discussing the various different groups' approach. So we had the atheists who completely reject God anyway. So this atheist must have come up, uh, sorry, these, uh, this earth must have come up from a, uh, from a different source, which we'll discuss later. We have, as I said, the agnostics. We have the so-called possibilists, or possibil uh, yes, possibilists. And then you have those who believe in creation, the theists who believe in God. Right Now we are part of those. However, there's a number of opinions in that as well. There's one group who would say that, yes, God created the world and then he's, he's resting now. He's passive. He no longer controls everything. He has given the ability in a knife to cut. A bad example, right? We're always using violent examples, it seems, right? But you understand what I mean. Right? He gives the fire the ability to burn. He has got the paracetamol to calm you down and to take your pain away. You get it? So everything has an intrinsic ability to do what it's supposed to do. It's not God who then allows it to do it each time. He's put the ability in him and then he's gone. Right? He's passive now. Is that our belief? No. Our belief is a lot more complex, mashallah, a lot more rich. We believe that no... God, yes, He created everybody and then He has linked certain effects to certain causes. So the cutting of a knife is linked to the knife. The fire and heat is linked to uh, burning and heat is linked to fire. And every other effect is linked to its cause. But He is the one who every single time and instance, every single occasion... He allows it and permits it. Ajib. Can you believe that? That is so complex. But that's what we believe. We want our God to be that rich. And where do we get this from? We get it from the Quran. And that is why we see that sometimes fire does not burn. Like the fire of Ibrahim did not burn. If fire was intrinsically to burn, you think Ibrahim would have survived in that fire? You know how hot that fire was? How intense it was? that they couldn't even go close to throw him in. They had to literally build a catapult to throw him inside. That's how that fire was. And do you remember the story of Ibrahim again? He takes a knife to his son's throat and try as he might. He thinks maybe because he's seeing him, that's why he, the knife doesn't work, he can't cut. So then he turns him around and he still can't cut. What happened to the knife? The stomach system is a natural system that you and I, if we put something in our stomach, goodbye. Right? It's going to take care of it. The bile and the functions of the stomach, the everything within, the whole system in Allah's place. Yunus goes into the mouth of the, the whale, the fish, and what happens? Allah tells it, look, this one is special, you don't touch this one. And it stops functioning. I mean, there are so many, literally so many examples of this. So many examples of this. When he wants it, it doesn't have to work. When he wants it, it doesn't have to work. And there are so many instances of these things. However, 
on a normal basis to make the world predictable, these things happen as cause and effect. Otherwise, if everything was left to chance, when I take my next step, am I going to move forward or not? Can you imagine how difficult that life would be? So we predict things. We predict things. And unfortunately, most of our belief is not so strong. For example, when we take paracetamol, isn't our belief that this paracetamol is going to benefit us? Who thinks about Allah then? Do you understand? When you're feeling sleepy and you drink a cup of coffee, a nice strong or a red bull, right? And you believe this red bull is going to do this for you. It's Allah. It's just He's kept a connection between the two which He allows to play its parts. But if He wants, sometimes you can take 10 red bulls, nothing's going to happen to you. You'll get, you'll get, you'll get messed up, right? So at the end of the day, it's up to Allah. And the people who have tawakkul on him are those who always remember Allah even with all of these things in place. So, okay. So now how was the world created? Some people, we believe as Muslims and many others, they believe that the world was created what they call ex nihilo, from nothing. Right? Allah doesn't need anything to create something from. He says, kun, be, and it's done. Right? That's what we believe. The universe as we see it, isn't it very complex? We haven't even figured out most of it yet. We discover new things and new processes, new connections within our quantum physics every day. The physicists are working very hard in the various universities in the world today and the various laboratories to try to make some sense of this world. Well, we've got a number of things understood, but there's still so much that is un, un, that, that is not yet understood. Right? This is just the world we live in. Forget the other planets. Forget the astronomy. Right? You can understand how complex this is. So now, if we just look at the way this universe is so beautifully tuned and so complexly put together, the scientists have looked at this and they've looked at the calculations of the numbers that are involved in making sure this world could remain existent. Because they've looked at the forces of keeping the heavens and the earth together in a particular orbit to let things function, right amount of oxygen, right amount of nitrogen and all of the other gases. That's why other planets are uninhabitable because they don't have the right amount. The gravity, the pull is of a very specific amount because if it was any more or any less, we'd be either flying around all the place or we wouldn't be able to walk very fast, right? This is just the perfect perfect amount. If you go to the moon, you're kind of flying around, right? You can just jump and there's no gravity. Other places like on Jupiter, you'd be laden down like lead. You couldn't move because the gravity is too strong. It's the perfect earth that Allah created, right? Was this random chance is the question. Was this just randomly things were flying around in the universe? They came together and bang, big bang, and suddenly you had all of this. How do you explain the earth how do you explain this world is the question now if you ask the atheist because the believers they generally say god created it then they differ as to whether he's still in charge or not that's a different issue let's forget that for a while right today what we want to discuss is very simply what are the possibilities of the creation of the world like through across the board what are the possibilities first possibility is what I said, random generation they call it. What do they call it? Random generation. Meaning, all of these forces just came together in this such perfect way that it created this beautiful world. 
What is the possibility of this happening? It's like I get a number of letters. You know, kids play with letters. And, you know, you have these magnet letters. So I've got a box of them. And I throw it down. And it spells out, Derby is a beautiful city or town. Let's just say I've got a thousand letters, individual letters in a box. And I throw them down. And it says, Derby is a beautiful city. What do you think is the probability of that? Exactly. You could work it out. You could work it out. You could take the number of letters you have, right? And see what the possibility of the combination of words that it, right? But isn't it very close to zero? When you've got the whole world and the, literally the billions of various different forces and things that have to come together, it's much greater than this. Now for that to just randomly suddenly come into a world, what's about it? Close to zero. So even the scientists today are saying, no, th there has to be something modern. This was the initial answer, right? But they're seeing that this is, you cannot pass it by. They're, they're, this is just too strong, right? To be, this is just so random that you just can't agree with this. Are you, did you, you understood this point. This is important to know this. Okay, second, some of these biologists, right? They're trying to use evolution for the creation of this world now while we can say that species in the world have evolved and there's no doubt about that now just as a side point we as Muslims are not Christians in our belief towards evolution so when somebody asks you about evolution don't say evolution haram wrong without even know what the heck it is right because Christians say so Christians have a massive problem with evolution, at least some Christians do, right? Because there's some who've kind of uh, left some of their ideas. And, because in Genesis, it tells you that the world was created, what is it, 6,000 or 7,000? 6,000 6, years ago. And because of that, evolution tells you that the world is much older than that. So it goes against their scripture and hence you can't accept evolution. So the whole thing is a dead deal, right? Whereas with Muslims, we don't have a 6,000 year limit, Right? Our universe can be much older. We don't have that problem. Right? So, in fact, for us, we have Adam being 60 cubits. That's 60 arm lengths, which is about half a meter is each cubit. That means about 30 meters tall. Hence, the animals being the similar size is not far-fetched. Why would there be small animals when you've got big human beings? So dinosaurs, etc. All of that is possible, though dinosaurs may be before human beings. Allah knows best, right? But we don't have a problem with any of this. We don't have a problem that, you know, the only thing we have a problem with is how do humans come from... Exactly, right? We just can't agree with that, right? So... Otherwise, general evolution in the world, it's not, a, it's not a big problem. Many aspects of it, there's only some aspects of it which are an issue. Anyway, that's a separate issue. I'm not going to talk about it right now. They try to say that the world evolved from something. Still doesn't answer the question though. Richard Dawkins now, when they found the first one is a bit of an absurd idea to say random generation. They've tried to say that now it's, they're favoring this, these new scientists now. They're trying to favor this because... You know, uh, atheists are finding it difficult to agree with the random generation idea. However, what they have to understand is that biology, in which evolution is taught and studied, is very different from physics and cosmology. 
right? The, 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 the world and its matter and everything around it is to do with physics and cosmology. It's got nothing to do with biology. How do you put a biological understanding onto that, right? You can't have a bio biologist trying to superimpose his theories on a completely different field. Also, the main thing though, besides all of that, is there's no evidence that the universe has evolved from something. And at the end of the day, you'll have to find evidence for that. But still, what began it? What began? Where does it come from? Even if we traced, as I mentioned right in the beginning, everything to the Big Bang, who caused it to occur in such a perfect way that it did, that if there was just one fraction one calculation, just slightly off, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't, and Allah tells us about this in the Quran, that you see the earth and the heavens in such sync together, but without any pillars. No, with pillars that you cannot see. And they know that there are, I mean, through science you will know that there are pillars of force that are keeping the heavens together. Allah says in the Quran that Allah turned to the heavens and the earth, and He said, What's the verse? Come together either willingly or unwillingly. They said, We will come together willingly. Right? Allah just describes some of this in the Quran. The, book, the Quran is not a book of science, by the way. But it has some scientist, uh, scientific realities. I remember once I was at a, at a conference and this individual came who's written a book on science and the Quran. He said, you know, the Quran is a book of science. I said, like, what do you mean? You know, uh, people, uh, everybody kind of says, Quran is a book of this and the Quran is a book of politics. You know, those politicians, Quran is a book of politics. I go, come on, man. Quran is a divine scripture for the inspiration and guidance of man. Yes, it holds certain scientific realities in there. But don't make the book, Quran a book of science and demote it, right? Anyway, the third option then, if you can't have random selection and you can't have ev evolution of where the world came from, then the only third possible option is that it was through intelligent design. Completely intelligent, masterwork. He's the one who configured you. He is the one who shaped you, who gave you form, who gave you form. Intelligent design, who would change the situation, it was, as it was pre-bang theory, and align the universe that in the way it is. Remember, zero plus zero can never be anything. Zero plus zero can't be anything. This is an empirical reality. Something cannot just come from nothing. Right? That means you have to believe that there was a beginner. Because look, let's just say that we agree to the fact that the world exists and it came from something. And generally the shaitan is going to make us question, okay, you, where did you come from? You came from your parents. Where did this come from? It's Olympus. So Olympus is the one who designed this. Where did, and you go back. Then he asks you, okay, if God created, if the world was created by God, then who created God? Now let's look at possibilities again. One idea is that God was created by God too. <laughs> right. Okay, then the question arises, who created God too? God three. 
What about God 3, God 4? Now how far back are we going to go? We're just going to keep going on. It's absurd, right? It doesn't get you to anything. It's the same as having, you know, uh, it's the same as being created by anything. It's not, it doesn't make a difference. And according to all rationalists, this is absurd. So that's not possible. Okay, God 1, created by God 2. Now you're going in the same way, right? No, no, no. Where did God 2 come from? God 1 created. Now that's circular reasoning. You can't agree with that either. Right. That's again another absurdity. That's why any thinking individual deep down has to agree with the fact that God is the beginning. They're, you can call him God. They called him all sorts of things. People who came to this realization, for example, the Hellenistic philosophers, they say he's the unmoved mover. Right? He moves everything else. He has been unmoved. Hence, he's the beginning. The first non-contingent being. The first being. Right? These are various different names that they give to him. You know, if we look at the world at this time, and this goes back to what I said in the beginning, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran so boldly just establishes that he is one and he doesn't give any proof of him existing directly. Right? He just talks about oneness, oneness, oneness. Don't believe in all of these other gods. They can't do anything for you. Right? They don't benefit you. They don't harm you. They don't even eat the food you put out there. Right? Nothing can happen. It's only God. Right? In this time, in this world, we have, what's the world population today? 7.2. 7.2. How many Christians in the world? 2.6, I think. Uh, that's quite liberal as well. Right? I thought it was about 2 billion. But, I mean, if you're saying 7.2 and I thought it was 6, so 2.7 from 2.2 uh, works. Anyway, let's just take the more conservative, 2 billion. How many Muslims in the world? It's about, let's say 1.7, 1.8. That's my reading. Just India alone has about 1 point, uh, 190 million. Just India alone. Pakistan has about 160 or 70. Bangladesh has about 150 or 160. China... Indonesia and you know it's just you know mashallah Muslims are producing right um, London has a million Muslims one in every eight people in London is a Muslim Oslo one in every ten person is a Muslim right and this is some of the big cities of the world that you're, you're speaking about right and if you go to Oxford Street in London it's one in every four people is a Muslim spending money from the Middle East right and they're loved Right, they 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 loved a lot because, mashallah, they run the economy, right? Anyway, so we got about two billion Christians, about one point eight billion Muslims, and we haven't even counted the other theists like Jews and others. But already we've got nearly four billion out of seven. The majority of the world are believers in a god, whatever they call that god. Over fifty percent already, and this is without even. This is just counting two of the main religions. And that's at this time when atheists are so rampant, they're militant, right? They are putting people down, they are challenging people, they're very charismatic. The reason is that just by our very nature, because of what we experience with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is our belief, we are predisposed to believing in a God in general. That's why it's so easy to do that. Have you ever seen a child disbelieve in God? They find it very easy to accept. And you know, let me just clarify one thing. There's a hadith of Rasulullah which people misquote. Kullu, uh, that, that, Kullu mawludin yuladu ala al-fitrah. 
every offspring is born on the fitrah. Let's use that word fitrah for now. You know what people say? Everybody born a Muslim. Every child born a Muslim, then he become Christian. Right? This is, you know, like every this is like a quote that they have, right? Everybody is born a Muslim. That's not true. When you say Muslim, what we mean is somebody who willingly accepts Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then accepts to, you know, agree on uh, prayer and so on and so forth, right? It doesn't say Muslim, it says fitra. Fitra means the primordial nature. I like to translate it as natural faith. Then when you become old enough, you have to acquire faith. Even if you're born in a Muslim household, when you become of discerning age, then you say, yes, Islam is for me. Right? This is my faith. You take it on. Who cares what happens to your parents afterwards? You generally take that on as your faith. Now it's yours. So fitra, I translate as natural faith. And the reason is that fitra is that this feed of uh, having experienced this experience with Allah is there. So it's very naturally easy. It's easy to be a believer in God. Then the hadith says that their parents either make them Jewish, Christian, uh, Magian, whatever, capitalists, um, uh, would you call it, uh, postmodernists, whatever else, atheists for that matter, in this day and age. That's, 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 that's what the hadith mentions. So it's very easy to be, believing in a God is an essential reality, it's an easy point. And hence, it's, there are people who discredit that idea, who refuse that idea, who reject that idea, but they're never a majority of the world. This incredible pattern of our universe that we see could not have existed if it was even just slightly different. Con cosmologists and physicists agree that the possible randomness of this world occurring is infinitesimally small. It is so small that it's it's nothing. So now the question is then, why don't people... They did, they did a study of scientists, I think in Yale and Harvard. And they, in that first study, they found out that most scientists rejected God. However, there were some flaws within that. So they did another study two years afterwards, and they found out that the ratio of believers and non-believers or theists and non-theists within scientists was the same as, reflected the same as the, 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 the general humanity, right? And the question now is that when somebody really thinks about these things, they should come to this realization. So why don't they? Why don't they believe in a God then? Well, for could be a number of reasons. Everybody is, has his own unique reason. One is they probably had a very bad experience with belief. And a lot of it, it comes from Christians and Jews, or primarily Christians, actually. They've had a very bad experience with them. And that's why if you actually read the uh, famous atheists of the past, they had less problem with Islam than they had with Christianity, but they didn't really study Islam well enough. And they just think all religions do the same. So if they have a problem with Christianity, they think Islam must have the same problem. But we have stark differences, very different. Our job is to present our faith to people in the right way. So that could be one reason. Another reason is that, you know, if you start believing in a God, then you have to believe in a religious system. You have to believe in laws, halal, haram, boundaries. And what does that do to you? It curbs your freedom. Is it easy being a Muslim? It's not easy. It's, it's expensive. It's difficult. Your meat is more expensive than normal meats, right? It's expensive being a Muslim, right? 
you can't do this, I can't do that. Very difficult for somebody who's had no ba- bounds, no, no limits, to then suddenly start being, having limits. Selfishness of the human being. Could be many reasons. Many reasons. Want to avoid responsibility. What I would say to Muslims, if you have questions about Islam, and these questions you are being spoon-fed by atheist sources, turn around, open your mind and ask similar questions, objective questions to them as well. Why do you take certain things as fundamentals agreed upon, no questions asked when it comes from a certain group, and you challenge others with it? Turn around, do the same thing if you really want to be objective. Right? You, you have to be fair with this if this is what you want to do, if you want to challenge. So, one thing though is that an atheist can really easily become a Muslim or believer. You know how? Because they've got half the kalima. La ilaha. There is no God. Not the half the kalima, half of half of the kalima, right? Half of the first half of the kalima. There is no God. They've got that right. They've made all sorts of weird models of God and they've said, this can't be a God. This can't be a God. This can't be a God. They have to find Allah. Then it will be, there is no God except Allah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a tawfiq to understand that. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a tawfiq to help people rather than turn them off. Really, this is what the issue is uh, for, for, for many of us. We turn people off because of our cheating habits and our, uh, we just don't interact well with people. We haven't learned to live among non-Muslims in the right way. Right? We just look at people as goners and we just think we are the best and there's nothing else. I'm not saying everybody thinks that way. But there are things we have responsibility towards our neighbors and the people on the street. Masjids have responsibilities not just to create a place for prayer, right? And create a nice place for wudu with, you know, heated floors, right? And all the rest of it and maktab and madrasas. There's a lot of others because we teach our children madrasa. But they're going to be exposed to a lot of this if we don't educate and make the, try to make the society understand who we are. Right, we're living in one of those times. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the tawfiq. I'll just make a quick dua insha'Allah. Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakti adal jalali wa ikram. Allahumma ya hayyu ya qayyum bi rahmatika nastaghith. Allahumma ya hannanu ya mannan la ilaha illa ant subhanaka inna kunna min al-zalimin. Subhanallahil aliyil a'la al-wahhab. Jazallahu anna muhammadan ma huwa ahluh. Oh Allah, we ask you for your compassion. Oh Allah, we ask you for your gentleness. O oh Allah, we ask you for your forgiveness. O oh Allah, we ask you for strength. O oh Allah, we ask that you remove our weaknesses and grant us strength. O oh Allah, grant us strength in our belief, in our worship. O oh Allah, in our faith. O oh Allah, in our character. O oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness from all of those sins that, have, that has brought misery to us. O oh Allah, we ask you forgiveness from all of those sins that have turned father against son, son against father. O oh Allah, that have turned husbands against wives and wives against husbands. O oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness. O oh Allah, we ask you for your mercy. Your mercy is constantly flowing. The rivers of your mercy are constantly flowing. We ask for even a single drop of this. 
O oh Allah, we ask that you grant us the kalima on our deathbed. O oh Allah, we ask that you grant us true understanding of you and our faith. O oh Allah, we ask that you grant us understanding. O oh Allah, take away the ignorance from us. O oh Allah, keep us away from ignorant acts and behavior. O oh Allah, don't make us instruments and tools of people rejecting our faith. O oh Allah, don't make us of those who drive people away from our faith. Oh Allah, we ask that you keep us firm on our faith and you help assist and assist us to help others understand our faith. Oh Allah, these are times in which we need your assistance. We always need your assistance. But oh Allah, protect us and our children and our progeny until the day of judgment from all of the evils that are out there. Oh Allah, day by day, our challenges seem to be expanding. Oh Allah, increasing. We ask you, we ask you for strength, fortification, oh Allah, and above all protection. Oh Allah, grant us the karima la ilaha illallah on our deathbed. And oh Allah, we ask that you make all of the stages of the hereafter easy for us. And oh Allah, grant us the grant, grant us Jannatul Firdaus. Oh Allah, all of those who've assisted in making this program today, in convening this program today, oh Allah, grant them jaza, grant them great reward. All of those who've established this masjid and the other masajid, oh Allah, the first generation, oh Allah, grant them great jaza. If they've left this world grant them illumination in their graves and oh Allah if they are if they are still alive then oh Allah grant them great him great great barakah and great tawfiq to do many more good things and oh Allah for the next generation oh Allah grant us the ability to continue this work to build on this work and oh Allah to take it further to deal with the challenges of our time oh Allah accept this from us accept those who are sitting here and oh Allah don't let any of us turn away without being forgiven on this day oh Allah we ask you one final thing you send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that you grant us his company in the hereafter subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun al muslim